The views and opinions of the hosts, resource persons, and organization do not represent those of the organization and the university and its stakeholders. Welcome to Kapihan with Green Chapter, where we reveal the ins and outs of housing and habitat for humanity. Today's episode is all about sustainable housing in the Philippines. This actually sounds like a very interesting topic, and I'm sure all of us are excited to hear and learn more about it, especially because we have knowledgeable professionals here with us today. Before we get started, I'd like to introduce our guest speakers. Our first guest has been with Habitat for Humanity International for almost three years now. Currently, he's the country lead of Habitat's Terwilliger Center for Innovation in Shelter, Philippine Shelter Venture Lab, while our second guest is the current strategic support head of Habitat for Humanity Philippines. Let us give a warm welcome to Mr. Jasan Katre and Ms. Arian Aligayu. Thank you, Sujin, and to your listeners. Yes, good afternoon. All right, thank you so much for meeting with us today, Po. Before we get a little more in-depth, I think it would be best to give our listeners a little insight into your background with Habitat. Can you share some details about your roles? Jessan, I'll start. <laughs> yeah, I'm, yeah, I'm Mariana Ligayu. I head the Strategic Support Department of Habitat for Humanity Philippines. Basically, the Strategic Support uh, Team would handle um, our advocacy program, including volunteer engagement in the work of Habitat for Humanity. Like what Sujin said, uh, I'm Jason Katre. I've been with Habitat for almost three years now. I lead our, what we call as the Philippine Shelter Venture Lab of the Terwilliger Center of Habitat. So Habitat created the Terwilliger Center for Innovation in Shelter about almost five years ago. The idea is to, it's like the research and development on new ideas or different ideas on how to solve the housing problem. Uh, that the Rilliger Center takes on a very public-private approach to reducing the housing deficit in, in the country. Wow, those roles are definitely some very significant and big roles. But before we get into everything else, I just want to ask, what is the current status of housing in the Philippines? I'll take a first stab on that and then Arian uh, can also add. So just as a background in the Philippines, um, the way housing is defined is according to the type of houses that developers build. So you would have at the most affordable, uh, quote-unquote, would be the socialized housing. Uh, for now, the prices would be around half a million pesos. And then economic housing, almost 2 million pesos. And then low-cost housing, almost 3 million pesos. Mid-cost would be 6 million uh, as the ceiling. And then high-end would be above 6 million pesos. So the, of course, Habitat's focus is more on the poor and the vulnerable and low-income segment of the Filipino population. And unfortunately, over the last several decades, what has been deficit or what has been lacking in terms of building houses is at the bottom of the housing segment. Those in the socialized housing segment, uh, it is estimated that, well, Back in 2018, the housing gap covers 
almost 6 million houses along the lines of socialized economic and low cost uh, ranking. Of that 6 million, that doesn't count those who are incrementally building their houses. Uh, and those really belong in the socioeconomic classes E and even some in social economic classes D. So they are roughly 6 million in terms of families as well. So we are talking of more than 11 million Filipino families with inadequate housing. And it's estimated by the year 2022, which is only next year, that number will balloon to 15 million. When this study was made, when this estimate uh, was made, uh, this didn't take into consideration the impact of COVID in the housing production. Ariane, you might want to add some more. Yeah, so as you can see, no, our housing backlog is really big in terms of numbers. And we also have to consider, you know, other than the backlog is the one that, you know, we are, we are not able to address on an annual basis. But on an annual basis, we need to construct or build 800,000 housing units to address our increasing population. So right now with that 800, our private sector is only producing one fourth, nearly about 200,000 units on an annual basis. So that would really increase no, our um, backlog as the years go on. And, and to add to that, uh, the trend that has been happening for the past five or more years is that developers would prefer to build low-cost, mid-cost, and high-end uh, types of uh, housing projects. So that cater to what we commonly call as middle class and upper class. So to the point that there's even a glut in that segment of the housing industry. But really at the very low end, the socialized housing, there is really like what Ariana said, a very big gap that even the government itself uh, admitted that they cannot fulfill. And I What's think moving that? forward, sorry, sorry Sujin, I, I just would like no, to say that I think moving forward, government and even the private sector, I think should look into that segment, the unserved segment, because this one is, you know, uh, getting very little attention, both from the private and the uh, government housing programs. Yes, it's definitely a sad reality to hear about the housing gap and that housing really is one of the biggest issues in the country. It's frightening or even chilling how 11 million Filipinos with inadequate housing will balloon to 15 million. So in relation to that, how would you define sustainable housing in the modern Philippine setting? But now it's one of those social conditions that determine the quality of life and welfare of people. Housing now plays a very crucial role in sustainable development in the aspect of physical and economic development, climate change mitigation, employment generation, and even wealth generation of the family living in that house. So housing is very critical in sustainable development. So for housing to be sustainable, it must, um, it must be economically viable, wherein we have different housing solutions for the different uh, household income levels. 
it also should be socially acceptable. So when we conceptualize or come up with um, housing projects or program, we should also incorporate the needs when we talk about technical feasibility, maybe uh, the materials that's being used should be also be locally available. But at the same time, the expertise and skills of people constructing the house should also be available. And, and lastly, it should be environmentally compatible because uh, we know that you know, um, houses and the people living in those houses uh, produce um, carbon footprints. So we want to um, lessen or reduce the carbon footprints of the houses during its um, lifetime and also the carbon footprints of the people living in those houses. So for a sustainable housing, it should um, address or cover the four dimensions that is um, being discussed in sustainability. So all those four should come together. I definitely agree that housing benefits trickle to overall sustainable development. And it's great how you mentioned conditions such as being economically viable, socially responsible, you know, in a way that we think about its consequences on future generations and being environmentally compatible in a manner that reduces carbon footprint of houses in their whole life cycles. And from your definition, it seems that the Philippines has a very long way to go before sustainable housing could be a reality for our country. But I definitely think that one day it would be possible. So Mr. Jasan and Ms. Aryan, why do you think there are still so many Filipinos who do not have access to sustainable or even decent housing in both urban and rural areas? Is it a matter of a lack of resource, mismanagement, or maybe even both? I think all of the above, <laughs> Jason. Uh, so when, as Jason mentioned earlier, you know, when we talk about the, our housing backlog, we can see the, the big number, uh, the housing need or the housing um, units that needs to be built to address our housing needs. But when we look at the government program, you know, uh, and look at the funding that is given to housing program under the government, it's, it's underfunded. So the government's role in providing quality housing is limited. For the past years, I think since 2010, no, the national budget allocation for housing has been decreasing despite the massive housing backlog. So this year alone, our um, housing budget is just 0.08% of the national budget. So if that's the case, then the government will not be able to address our housing problem. Other than the government, of course, we have the private sector who should complement the housing production of the government. But the private sector is also faced with challenges such as the increasing cost of um, house production and also the challenges that they face with uh, government red tape. Uh, the private sector said that when they come up with a project, for it to materialize, they need to coordinate with 27 government agencies. They have to secure 146 signatories, signatures, no? 78 permits and clearances, and submit 373 documents. It's a lot of documents and a lot of coordination that needs to be done. And for them to accomplish all that, 
it would take three to five years before they could fully implement the project. So that would really um, have an impact in terms of their house production. And of course, affordability, as we mentioned earlier, is still one of the biggest or growing uh, housing challenges in the country. The lack of access to affordable housing and land is the reason why our poor, the poorest or the low-income residents are found living in dangerous areas like hillsides, uh, waste dumps, railroad tracks, and informal settlements. So I think um, it's not only funding, but also management and um, a sound, sustainable housing policies and program. Referring to the housing data, no, like I said earlier, at the middle and the high end levels of the housing industry, there's, a, there's already a glut. I mean, uh, there will be middle income and high income Filipinos who have one, two, or even three houses. Uh, and then for the other houses, they rent it out. It's really at the low income and poor segment of our uh, society, those in the class D and class E, they really don't have access to uh, decent housing. And when I say decent, these are quality houses, not just uh, a plain sheet over their head and a thin wall to protect them. Um, so half of the market is really served by developers and half of the market are really homeowners who build over time, what we call the owner-driven construction or those or the DIY market doing doing it themselves. They they build their houses over time. It takes 10, 20, and 30 years. So so of the eleven million housing gap, half of that would be served by developers, half incrementally building. For the developers, the problem there is they don't see this as a viable, economically viable business uh, investment because they would rather invest in middle to the high income houses because profit margins are bigger there and easier for the low end the lowest end of the segment of the market it's heavily much regulated uh, there is a price cap um, but then again prices of material keeps increasing prices of labor keeps increasing but there's a price ceiling because the government would like to maintain a price cap to, for it to be affordable so there is a dilemma there because what happens is that uh, developers would rather build houses at the upper level of the housing industry because there's no much regulation there. So that leaves, there is no incentive and there's a lot of disincentive for developers. For those incrementally building uh, that are not targeted by uh, the developers, like what Ariana said, major problem there is affordability because they cannot afford to buy a house let's say that's worth 200 to 300,000 on average for those low-income families they cannot afford one time to buy that one and they don't have access to long-term financing they cannot go to Pag-ibig and then say Pag-ibig can you loan me for 25 years they can definitely pay but if the payment is for 25 years but if the payment is for one year, two years, three years, four years, or even five years, definitely these low-income families cannot afford to do so because they are part of the informal sector of society. They have informal income. 
they're not employed and etc etc so affordability is a big factor the other factor there would be in terms of knowing how to build properly the the quality consciousness here is where price versus value comes in wherein they would rather buy the cheapest rather than buying the best value for various reasons the the cheapest material the cheapest labor etc etc they end up with a low quality house uh, as, and then they waste they waste the limited money that they have so and then you would have the factor of management or policy or governance uh, wherein our government right now said that private sector go in and then uh, let's have a partnership in terms of building plugging that huge housing gap but then again the government isn't able to provide more incentives or more enabling policies for the private sector to really invest in the lower segment of of the housing industry for the private sector themselves uh, other than not seeing the low income the socialized housing segment as viable and profitable like what ariana said earlier ago they don't even see that there is market potential for those low-income families incrementally building. In our recent study, when we estimated the market value of that segment of the housing populations, although they are low-income, but they are huge in terms of number, more than 3 million families incrementally build over time, the market value of that segment is $13 billion. So that's that's not a known uh, potential investment area. Uh, that is why they don't see them as potential customers because they they think that they cannot afford. But with proper financing schemes, these people do can afford to pay for a decent house or to build up over time. So a lot of factor COVID. Uh, made the situation much much worse uh, when COVID impacted our country our economy the housing industry really got severely affected as well because it made the developers less interested to build more low-income segment houses because material cost has risen labor cost is very much scarce so they still would prefer to build the higher end of the markets the other thing is that um, right now the priority is to build infrastructure projects big ones so that diverts labor uh, which we have few right now that diverts labor resources to building big infrastructure infrastructure projects over building the housing gap I see. Uh, going back to what Ms. Aryan said, uh, the government programs truly are underfunded and people are being underserved. And it's concerning how the housing backlog isn't reconciled with the national budget. I also think it's very significant that you mentioned how the private sector is also quite accountable for housing development. It's also an ugly truth how there is so much red tape bottlenecks that impede project development. I also just want to reiterate what you mentioned about profit margins being higher in projects of 
higher valued homes or big infrastructure projects and developers actually preferring to do these instead so they're not very much incentivized to pursue socialized housing projects uh, mr jasan you mentioned that some people have more than two houses you know this really shows how there is an equal distribution in the housing market or even people who enjoy the safety and security of having proper homes and it's a myriad of problems in funding management and policies now delving more into the topic of sustainable housing what is your standpoint on urban renewal is it positive or negative for a society considering that it redevelops areas but has also been displacing people or smaller industries in the topic of urban renewal i think it would depend no on how the project is implemented because the intent of urban renewal was to address uh, you know urban decay in the cities to attract investment restore economic vitality and all that so that's a good you know concept however when the project is implemented if the main approach to renewal um urban renewal is squatter eradication you know when you say the squatter eradication or cleanup this is um, mostly associated with demolition of properties of this you know informal settlements and relocation of this population to low cost housing project which are outside the city and this result to displacement of pre-existing residents we we know no from previous previous programs and projects of the government that it's not sustainable it doesn't really work it just you know it's just a band-aid band kind of um, measure but in the long run problem will persist and we'll just you know face the same problem over and over so the primary emphasis uh, on urban renewal should be placed on the conservation of housing and neighborhood where the task is to assist neighborhood residents to maintain their properties and to encourage improvements and if these settlements are upgraded by improving the infrastructure, uh, maybe legalizing the land tenure, and this would be the most sensible approach to resolving the problems of informal settlements and blighted areas in the city and um, attracting investment and um, you know, vitality in the economic activities in the city. Yeah, like what Ariana said, um the term ur urban renewal seems to be a neutral term, right? It really depends on the development perspective that those driving the renewal have. I mean, do they prioritize? So, and then you have to answer the question of who is benefiting from the renewal effort. If it's displacing um, the populace, a segment of the population, that and then making them more economically vulnerable that type of renewal isn't sustainable if you are displacing small enterprises and informal enterprises bulk of our enterprises in the philippines are composed of msmes so then you are we just reinforcing the inequality in terms of uh, our the way our business and society is structured also, it doesn't make sense if you displace people living nearby because they are human resources in businesses. If you move them away, further away, then 
you know, there is that triple effect of worsening the traffic, people commuting, and things like that. Like what we have right now in Metro Manila, because people cannot afford to live in Metro Manila. They live outside outskirts, then they have to travel, they have to commute. And it worsens everything, right? Pop, uh, pollution, uh, waste of time, and etc., etc. It really depends, su Sujin, on the perspective of the renewal. I mean, what's the development paradigm being pursued? Uh, yes, definitely. While urban renewal has its benefits, we should also be very particular about project execution. It could also have its own pitfalls. So it's interesting how you mentioned that it can sort of transpire into a band-aid solution to a pressing problem. I think it's also important how you mentioned asking the question, who are we doing this for? We definitely have to keep our priorities in check and make sure that we aren't contributing to inequality. The views and opinions of the hosts, resource persons, and organization do not represent those of the organization and the university and its stakeholders. With this, what could we do to, you know, be better, to better our country? So moving forward, how has Habitat addressed not only the need for housing, but also the call to build sustainably? Maybe I'll uh, discuss first on um, what Habitat Philippines is doing in terms of um, construction of the houses. And then Jason can discuss later on on the work of Terwilliger Center with the housing sector as a, the bigger players in the housing um, sector. So for Habitat Philippines, no, we know that we've been building houses uh, nationwide, but you know, the, the houses that we build, the number of houses that we build on an annual basis, this is a very small <laughs> dent to our housing backlog or the housing need of the country. But um, Habitat continues to do this in partnership with uh, the private sector, even LGU and uh, individuals. But other than that, in building a sustainable uh, houses, we also look into, um, the materials that we use when we build houses, like our project in Negros Occidental, uh, called Negros Occidental Impact 2025, where we um, target to build 10,000 houses uh, in the province of Negros using a cement bamboo frame technology. So for this one, you know, um, one, one thing that is innovative and this is the use of bamboo in our construction um, technology. So we are trying to promote also using locally sourced materials in um, the construction of the houses, but at the same time, other than being locally sourced, um, it also would have lesser, uh, how do you call this, um, impact uh, to the environment. We also partner with other uh, NGOs like Green Ants, who, who is um, producing um, eco bricks. Uh, the materials that they use other than the cement would be um, plastic materials like the sachets that is, you know, uh, is being thrown by everybody when they use. So that causes uh, also problem in our environment. So we're partnering with them for livelihood programs for our communities. And we also ensure that when we, um, in our house designs, we make sure that the houses that we build are also um, 
resilient and would address you know, climate change issues in the future. So those are the things that we are doing in terms of the house construction, but on the soft side of our program, uh, talking about the people that um, we, uh, the families that we bring you know, to those houses, the houses that we are building, we are also building capacity of our communities because other than the structure, we have to make sure that our families uh, that are living in, in those communities that we build would also have a sustainable life. So we build their capacities in terms of uh, leadership and also providing leadership uh, skills and livelihood training for them so that when Habitat leaves those communities, the families can continue to improve their lives and continue to look after the, uh, the community that belongs to them. Yeah, and to add to Arian, um, so what the Terwilliger Center of Habitat is doing right now is ensuring that the housing industry becomes sustainable and the way to do that is to make sure that there is inclusivity in the housing markets. What do I mean by inclusivity? Along the lines of what Ariane mentioned earlier about how do we define sustainability, um, for the Terwilliger Center as well, we do answer the question of the effort should benefit, especially for the private sector, the effort should be profitable, number one, for it to be sustainable, commercially viable, and commercially sustainable. Number two, it should benefit the people themselves. And number three, it should benefit the planet. So ideally, those three should be taken into consideration equally. So what are we doing in the Willigar Center? We are saying that the low income in, in, and the low income segment of the housing industry, those that are being left behind, those that are unserved, untapped, ignored, this is a viable business opportunity. This is worth $13 billion if you focus on this one. So that's number one. And then what we do in the Terwilliger Center is invite private sector to invest in this segment. Number two is it answers the question of exclusion of a big portion of the population in society. So 11 million, what's the average right now of family members? I think it's 4.7 something. So 11 times 4, at the very least, you would have, what, 44 in million Filipinos who don't have access to adequate shelter. That's a big number of social capital that whose potential are not fully tapped by society. Because they don't have, because we believe in Habitat, we believe that a house is the foundation, a jumping start to a better future, well-being, to opportunities to education to health and etc etc now on the planet part sustainability cement is one of the leading emitters of carbon uh, globally right so unfortunately in the philippines most of our houses are built of cement built using cement built use, using concrete hollow blocks so like what Ariana said, uh, we are partnering with private sectors who are introducing greener technologies, greener, greener material, greener processes. We are also working right now with manufacturers in the steel, 
and in the cement industry to look for ways or greener products and services that they can use uh, to sell to this this new market on the other hand what we are also doing is finding ways to provide that information and consumer education to homeowners that when they buy products and services they not only consider prices they would consider the value it will give them in that value we are recommending should also include sustainable products so that's that that's the thing that we're doing in the Terwilliger Center in working with the private sector Oh, wow. um, so Gina, just I just want to yes, I just want to bring up another initiative that uh, Habitat for Humanity in partnership with Terwilliger Center. Just on the the program that uh, we're thinking for our uh, construction laborers or artisans. Just right oh, right. Now, yeah, yes. I think that this is very critical because right now, um, you know, a lot of our construction laborers. Um, if they are not part of the formal employment so and usually for the owner driven construction the families will just get you know carpenters and masonry you know within their neighborhood and most of the time these carpenters and masonry you know uh, the payment that they get is not on the the minimum wage so we wanted to provide um technical skills or upgrade their skills so that they would be uh, one competitive in terms of in the formal market but at the same time they'll be able to help us when they construct houses of um, individual families they'll be able to help us also in building um, disaster resilient uh, homes and uh, you know um, help families uh, build a more um, how do you call this? Um, houses that would really uh, last for a, a long time, not just uh, for a few years. Yeah, that's definitely uh, inspiring. Uh, Ms. Aryan, you mentioned that your pursuit in sustainable housing has only made a small dent and it can probably be seen as inconsequential, but let me be the person who says that we acknowledge and we appreciate your pursuit of bettering the lives of other Filipinos. I hope we never discount your impact to other people's lives and the environment because your help, no matter how big or small, has been really meaningful or, you know, valuable. I also applaud your efforts in house construction by making the material sustainable and the house itself resilient. And it doesn't even stop there. You make sure that the families have the capacity to create progressive change for themselves. And it's also great how you have uh, partnerships with other businesses or industries you know, like was meant, like what was mentioned, the cement industry or other green development pursuits. And since we've talked about inclusivity or even exclusivity in the housing market, I think I can relay one of the questions sent by a listener. His question goes, how do you determine the beneficiaries for habitat housing projects? Thank you. Yeah, for, uh, yeah, thank you for that one. Um, for our home, the beneficiaries, we call them our homeowners or home partners because they are really our partner in terms of, you know, uh, the, the program or the projects that we are 
doing. So for our home partners, we usually uh, coordinate or partner with the local government units because the local government units would have a list of um, four families in their locality. And the LGU supposedly would have their shelter plan to address the need in their municipality. So if they have that lease, it's easier for them to come up with a program for these people. So we partner with them. And in our projects, it's usually anyway, the government who provides the land. And then together, the LGU and Habitat for Humanity will have, would have a set uh, of criteria uh, to ensure that the families that we, are, uh, that we are selecting would be really those who are uh, mostly in need and willing to partner with uh, Habitat for Humanity because when we select them, they also have to provide um, 300 to 400 hours of their own labor to build their own, own houses or in building the whole community itself. Uh, thank you so much for answering that question. And for the next one, what future does shelter innovation hold for Philippine infrastructure and how will these be integrated? Is it renewable energy sources, the usage of echo bricks or sustainable materials? What do you think? You want to start, Ariane? Yeah, okay. For the um, shelter innovation, I think there is a lot of innovation now, you know, in the market. Um, Thing or high-end um, designs, no. But uh, what is needed now is to have those innovation um, accessible and affordable to low-income households. So I think that um, that's one way for us to do this is really create that awareness to um, the general public that when we have innovation in our design or even in the whole construction of houses, it's not all the time expensive. There are ways uh, that we can do it on a lower cost, but not sacrificing the, the, the integrity and um, the value that we get um, from these innovations. We also launched uh, recently our what we call as our shelter tech accelerator program in southeast asia we've been running this in, uh, in other parts of the world but only recently have we done this in southeast asia so we have selected 10 um, emerging innovative solutions in the housing industry that can be applied towards the low income and poor segment of the populations. And we are excited about these 10 business models. Uh, one relates to building solar roof. Uh, the other would be using more bamboo material like the cement bamboo frame and so on and so forth. So we do believe that the housing industry itself needs innovation, needs innovative approaches so that uh, we can so we can reduce the housing deficit uh, quickly and at scale. Yeah, innovation really needs to be centered on accessibility in order to plan, build, and execute better. And it's also nice to hear about the 10 potential business models. You know, solar roofs, bamboo materials sound very possible, and I hope the best for your projects. 
Um, for the everyday Filipino, especially the legacy builders and those interested in this advocacy, how can we work towards sustainable shelter for all? So, so Gino, I think we can look at it two ways. Um, on an individual or household levels, because when we look at this issue of housing, it's very complex and it's very daunting. <laughs> But we have to kind of break it down and see what we can contribute as an individual. First, as an individual or on a household level. Individuals and families can do simple things like maybe you know, uh, building a compost of kitchen waste, you know, using also energy efficient um, fixtures in the house to lessen you know, um, the energy consumption. Um, that they have, do recycling, you know, greening your home. Those are small things that can be done by individuals and family. They may not think that it will have an impact, but the little things that we do, when we put it all together, it will have a big impact in our society, in the environment as a whole. And I think lastly, you know, we could also use our voice we can speak on behalf of the people um, who needs housing, but at the same time, uh, we can vote wisely. I'm just mentioning, you know, voting wisely because next year is our national election. I think it would be a good time for all of us, you know, to really vote wisely for our leaders and making sure that the ones that, uh, you know, we we put to lead uh, our country is someone who would look at um, the welfare of the people, especially those vulnerable groups in our society. So that's at the individual or household level, but also on the organizational level, you know, Habitat Advocacy is working to influence public opinion and decision makers. So, and Habitat believes that, you know, the young legacy builders, our young leaders, our young people are strong advocates. And with your passion and eagerness to learn and make a difference, you are not just the future, but you are also our present. Therefore, it's very critical that we engage our young people in the solution that um, we, do to, we do for the future. So with Habitat, we have a program called the Habitat Young Leaders Build, wherein we engage uh, young people to take action by building homes, speak, speak about decent shelter, and also create awareness in support of affordable housing. So through this, not only are youth inspiring other youth to get involved, but empowering a generation now and generations to come to make their voices heard for a cause to believe in. So I'm kind of very grateful, like this thing that you're doing, your podcast, creating awareness, discussing issues about, you know, the housing and uh, shelter situation in the country. This really helps, you know, uh, in terms of the advocacy of Habitat to really create um, affordable shelter for all. Yeah, and to add to Arian, I mean, ordinary Filipinos like us can... Make an inf can really make an impact as well by their by our daily choices when we buy materials when we buy services related to buildings or our houses 
it would be good to choose materials and services that are greener in nature. The reason for that is it creates demand, it sends signal to the market that there is a growing consumer interest towards these products and services. And also, we become models for others to also follow our consumer tastes and behavior. So that's just to add to what Ariana said and to emphasize on the importance of choosing wise leaders both locally and at the national level to really call attention to the issues of inadequate housing. Uh, not to scare your listeners here, but in the event of another COVID happening, really a majority of our vulnerable uh, Filipino brothers and sisters don't have any shelter to safely uh, protect themselves in. So that's another reason to make the issue more urgent for others as well. Yeah, housing problems are indeed complex and daunting and urgent, but I like what you said, Ms. Aryan, about really taking the time to break this problem down, having mundane practices that are sustainable and ensure created to really start greening their own homes. We should certainly consciously choose to do the more sustainable choice. It's a constant and consistent incorporation of sustainability in our daily lives. It's also very important how you spoke about voting wisely by actually using our votes on leaders who have the zeal for service and integrity. And before we bid goodbye to our listeners, Mr. Jason and Ms. Aryan, do you have a message for our fellow builders as they continue building homes and building hope? Gino, I just would like to thank you, the Green Chapter, for organizing this podcast and for engaging other young leaders, young volunteers to be part of the solution and the work that uh, the Green Chapter is doing in support of the Habitat for Humanity's work. And for our uh, young legacy builders, so I think I'm just really looking forward to next year when we have that election. So we have a year to go. I just want to encourage everyone to, you know, maybe make housing as an election issue for next year. Um, your voice um, is very critical in our next election. So let's all work together for a better future, especially for our Filipino uh, families who are dreaming for an affordable and decent uh, housing for their families. Thank you so much, Green Chapter. Yes, echoing what Ariana said, I'm, I'm really heartened by the creation of the Green Chapter. I listened to your first webinar and I was really fascinated by the enthusiasm shown uh, in that webinar, not only by the guests, but the organizers behind it. And I do believe that you are the future uh, of our country and that you bringing the issues and concerns and solutions to this problem would really help in terms of reducing the backlog and making sure that 11 million families right now, 15 million next year, would be better served.
That's right. What a way to end the episode. Once again, thank you, Mr. Jasan and Ms. Arian, for joining us today. And thank you to our audience for tuning in. This has been Sujin Kim. And on behalf of Habitat for Humanity Green Chapter, until next time. And remember to make it a habit here with us at Habitat. The views and opinions of the hosts, resource persons, and organization do not represent those of the organization and the university and its stakeholders.